turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 19. Continuing to look at different aspects of God's character this morning, I want us to think about His covenant to us, our covenantal God. And uh, we have it there in Exodus 19. It, it reminded me of an, uh, an old uh, story. It's kind of corny, but I'll, I'll, I'll share it anyway. Um, two ladies were talking, and the, um, you know, one said to the other, Hey, I heard John proposed, and you accepted. And she said, Yeah, that, that, that's true. And she said, Well, did he tell you that he proposed to me first? And she said, Well, no. Not exactly in those words, but he did say he had done many insincere, insignificant, and foolish things before we met. <clears throat> when you think about covenant, think about this wedding proposal, and God's proposal to us is anything but insincere, insignificant, or foolish. It is very significant. Exodus 19, we begin to see it unfold. Uh, you know Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. Those are called the stipulations of the covenant. So those are kind of the requirements of the covenant. A lot of times people just jump into the Ten Commandments and want to see the stipulations and miss the relationship of the covenant. And it's Exodus 19 that gives us that relationship side of the covenant, not just the command side. So I want us to kind of zero in on that. Let me read first eight verses of Exodus 19 for us. It says, In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came into the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. All right, let's kind of go through that little by little and think about um, what's going on here. This is um, like coming to the wedding hall. This is coming to uh, Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments are, are given, where God comes down. This is coming to this big reception with God. Um, and it's, it's extremely significant. Verse 1 says, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. Now, they had been in Egypt 400 years, 430 by the time they, they take off. But 400 years in Egypt, that's a long time. And they grew to national status there in Egypt, outnumbering even the Egyptians, which controlled the world at the time. But the Egyptians put them into slavery. 
And you read stories in Exodus of, of them making mud bricks there by the Nile. So they've got hot, muddy, slavery work under the control of the Egyptians. And in only three months, they're in this massive um, Sinai plain and freedom under the direction of God. So it just took them three months, which to me, I, I haven't walked it myself, so I don't, I don't know how great a feat it is. It seems like it's a pretty great feat to walk from Egypt to Sinai and to push all your flocks, women and children and millions of people to make that journey. So it took them three months. And so when they finally show up to this meeting place, it's like the first day they're there, Moses is up the mountain. It's like, we've been waiting for this. This is what was promised to us. Look, look back at Exodus 3. When God chose Moses to lead the people, he made this promise to him. Exodus 3, verse 12. says, And he shall certainly, and, he's, and he's, you know, Moses says, you know, who am I that I should go and all that? And, and verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Moses was there at the mountain when God gave him that burning bush experience. He sends him to Egypt. And he says, you're going to know that I am with you. There's no, going to be no doubt. I am your God. You are my leader of my people. And there's not going to be any doubt because I'm going to bring you and all the people back here for a wonderful worship service. That had been the promise. And that's now coming about, the fulfillment of that promise. They have arrived back to that site where God met with Moses. And it's unbelievable. Verse 2 says, um, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Um, it was the the the, the mountain is, is it's not like uh, our Smokies. It's more like the Rockies. There's no trees. There's just rocks. Huge granite peaks going up 1,000, 1,500 feet in the air. And in front of these rocky peaks, uh, you have a plain sprinkled with herbs and shrubs two miles long, three-quarters of a mile wide so that the people can just gather in this place surrounded by this, these huge granite uh, mountains. And that's, of course, will, if you read on in the story, the mountains are going to shake and there's going to be thunder and lightning and God is going to come down as, as there. I mean, as you begin to imagine the place, you say, there is no more place on earth that is more suited to what's about to happen. It's, it's a splendid moment where, where they're in like a cathedral and God is going to speak with them. And it's, it's a beautiful place where the, the, um, the animals can can graze and they can camp and they can anticipate this reception with God 
that God had promised. Well, that's taken place there. Um, it's, 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 it's just breathtaking. Um, let's, let's read on. Verse 3 says, and Moses went up. So it's like first day he gets there, Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say, you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So the first message from God is, Moses, go tell the people, you know me already. You've already seen me. You've seen me rescue you from the Egyptians. You remember that time when all those plagues, those miracles began to wear down the Egyptians and you got to, to go and they gave you all of their loot and you put it on carts and took their animals and you walked out and the Red Sea parted and you got to walk across on dry land but you, you have seen with your own eyes how I closed the waters over the Egyptians and wiped them out. I devastated their land. Then I wiped out their military and delivered you. And I have brought you to this place. And he says, I brought you to this place, bore you on eagles' wings. You know the story of eagles, especially in rocky terrain, bare places like that. There's probably eagles flying around. And, and they got the image as, as an eagle uh, pushes their young out of the nest, they often will swoop down to make sure their young flies before it hits the rocks. And it says, it's just like that. You have seen me at every turn fly through the heavens to protect you and to spare you from trouble. And I have brought you to this place. You, ask, you know, what is God saying here? He's saying, the first thing you need to know, I love you. Why are you here? Because I love you. Why are you redeemed? Because I love you. Who has done what has happened? Me, I love you. Just tell them that. And when you I still remember when, when Patty walked down the aisle on our wedding date. I don't think I'd ever seen her cry as much as I saw her cry that day, you know? So the door's open, and I'm at the front, and she's walking down, and tears are just all down her face. I'm thinking, oh, she's going to change her mind. <laughs> you know? I didn't know what to think. But as soon as she got to the front and joined me, she said, I love you. I thought, oh, Thank the Lord. <laughs> I thought it could have gone the other way, you know. And, but you need that reassurance. I love you. We've gone through a lot together. And the reason is because I love you. And that's the message of God to his people. That's the first message to him. He says, tell him, you, you can trust your own eyes. You've seen it yourself. You've seen what I did, and I did it because I love you. Well, think about the love of God for a minute. 
I mean, what has God done for you? What have you seen Him do for you and for me? I mean, I didn't see Him devastate an Egyptian king or an army or part the Red Sea. I didn't see any of those things. You didn't see anything. But we've seen something far, far more, far greater. Our redemption from this old covenant to to the new covenant is so much more. We have seen God come into our lives. And we've seen that, you know, his love for us is not just current. Notice for the Israelites, he says, don't just realize that I love you now. Realize I loved you then. He takes his love back into the past and brings it to the present. And that's the way it is for us. When you begin to realize God chose us and he loved us before the foundation of the world, that he tenderly put us together in our mother's wombs and then he gave us birth and he developed us. And then after a certain time, he fills us with his spirit. He draws us with his everlasting love. He fills us with his spirit. He gives us the status to be sons and daughters of God. He gives us the gifts of faith and repentance so that we can repent, turn from sin, and embrace him. And when we embrace him, we find that he is embracing us. And it's all because he says, I love you. I love you. Nothing surpasses that. So I want this engagement. I want to be with you. I want you to be here with me. That's the relationship I'm talking about. That's what's going on in this passage. Why does God love us so? He says, I do. I want you to be mine. Well, so they, they get that message. That's the reception. They come to God. And then he gives them some requirements. Verse 5. He says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Now, um, basically obedience. God says, if you get that I love you, then you should be asking, how do I respond to such love? And the way you respond to such love is just, just obey. Just do life the way I would like you to do it. Um, Think about the word if there, verse 5. Now then, if you will indeed obey. What's going on there? It's not an if. Like, if you will obey, you will earn my affections. It's not if you will obey, you will be my people. It's not if you will obey, you will get something. You will merit something. God's already chosen them. They already have this relationship. The if is not there to earn, to get. The if is there to maintain. If you will keep my commands, if you will do what I ask, then, then our marriage will stay intact. You will be maintaining your side of this agreement. And we need to understand 
this relationship dialogue that's going on that way. So many times people think, well, they've got to do things to earn God's favor, earn God's love, to earn salvation. But that's not what's going on at all. It's, you need to do this because this is what will make a good marriage. This is what will make us happy. Is if you listen to, to my wisdom, to what I'm giving you, and you do it. And it's going to be great. So if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession from all the people. Think about how precious and particular that is. God makes a very strong, sovereign statement. All the earth is mine. So out of all the earth, God says, I've chosen you. And you think about it. He didn't choose them because he looked down through the tunnel of time and he said, oh, these people will be obedient. These will be the good ones. So that's why I'm choosing. These are people who have more resources. He didn't do that. If he had wanted people with more resources, with more track record, whatever, he would have taken the Egyptians. But he chose Hebrew slaves. And he he didn't choose them because they were going to do something. We can read on and realize they mess up a lot. He didn't choose them because they weren't messy. He didn't choose them because they were going to obey. He said, I chose you because that's my sovereign right. Everything is mine, and I picked you. It's kind of like the bride or the groom that uh, says to their spouse, you could have had anybody in the world. Why did you choose me? And the answer is, because I love you. And that's what God is saying here. He said, I chose you. I love you. And I want you to be my own particular treasure. You're the one I want to be with. You're the one I want to spend time with. And then uh, I'll give you one other verse just to, just to catch that succinctly. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter um, 7 verse 6 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. What a statement. God says, I, I just chose you. Now, when he chose us, he, he gives several um, very significant statements about us. That uh, he says, I, I need you to obey. This is what I'm going to do. This is my side. He says, verse 6, he says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now that, that description is not found anywhere else in the Old, Test, uh, Old Testament. That you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You find it in the New Testament, but not again here. What, what a statement. You're going to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's a priest? Priest got two functions, primary functions. One is to speak to God for the people. And the other is to speak to the people for God. The priests are like the bridge. They're, they're, they're connecting God to the people, the people to God. He says, that's what you're going to be. You're going to be one of those that's always speaking to me. And I'm speaking to you. You'll be a kingdom of, of priests. And you won't just be a kingdom of priests, but you'll be a holy nation. Holy 
in several senses. Holy in like being like God. Being of different, greater character. Holy in the sense of being separate. Set apart for sacred use and purpose. You're going to be to me a kingdom of priests and in the midst of all the nations, of all the world, you're going to be the one set aside for this relationship to talk to me, to talk to the people for me, back and forth. You're going to be a glorious witness for me. You're also going to be set apart for this sacred purpose of worship and holiness in, in that environment, that relationship with he who is holy. Uh, what a relationship. Let me show it to you in the New Testament. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, particularly verse 9. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession." So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see it there in the New Testament context. You're still a a holy people, a royal priesthood for God's own possession. Out of all the earth, he's chosen to say, you're mine. I'm yours. And it's glorious. Uh, You proclaim as a priest the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what does that practically mean for you and me? It means this. God says, you're mine and you're holy and you're a priest. It means when you are called by God, When you engage God, God engages you into this relationship. You are never, ever, ever again to be considered by yourself or anyone else as common. You're not common anymore. The rest of the world may be common, but you are not common. You can't tolerate a statement like, or you're just white trash, black trash, brown trash yellow trash. You're anything but trash. You're not common. You are royalty. You are royal priesthood. You have been set apart unto holiness. You have been conformed more and more to the image of Christ and his glory. You talk to God and you talk to people for God. You are glorious. That's your identity in Christ. So many people today miss that. And they struggle and struggle with who am I? What am I doing? Where do I go? How do I survive? You are significant royal priesthood in Christ. Far from insignificant. See the glory of being His. I want to be possessed by God. Nothing gives more value. Nothing gives more significant. Nothing more elevates identity. In a world that's constantly committing suicide and has zero identity, the world's need is Christ. As we've sung, everyone needs a Savior. It changes their identity. 
It changes our significance, changes our value, it changes our worth. And I encourage you to spend time meditating on who you are in Christ. Go again and read 1 Peter 2 and see the significance of being the ones who get to speak the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into light. Well, Exodus 19 goes a little bit further. The people respond, verse 7 and 8. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he set before them all the words which the Lord had commanded. So he said, this is what God said. Basically, he needs you to obey. This is, who, this is what you'll be. This is who you are. And notice the response of the people. Verse 8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Like, we got this. All that God has said, we will do. Will you do what he said? We will do it. It's like no hesitation. Now we know they mess up. But let's just stop and pause before reading ahead and just ponder how commendable the response is. I love it. How many times have you said that to God? How many times have you read his commands and said, God, everything you just said, everything I just read, I got that. I'm all in. We will do that. We'll do it together. That's their response. And that's a glorious response. That's the right response. God says, I do. They say, I do. And God blesses. He has promised he would bless. He has blessed. Uh, We need to continue to, to realize the significance of just saying, God, by all the strength you give me, I will do. I'll do it. And God gives us strength, and God fills us with His Spirit. Um, Again, the reason for the choice was not so that they would obey. The reason for the choice was because God loved them. We don't have to take it any further than that. Uh, Think about the significance of being in Christ. God gives us commands to do today. We say, these commands, I'm not doing them to earn salvation. I'm not doing them to get into heaven. I'm doing them to maintain a relationship, a a, a sense of delight with my God and Him with me. And when I mess up, Christ gives me more grace, more mercy. So I can be forgiven and and try again. And I just try to do that because I I enjoy this relationship with God. The more I sin, the, 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 the more there's grace. But then the more there's grace, the less I sin. And you grow more and more. And that's the relationship the Israelites were entering into. Um, and it's, it's glorious. Of course, the Ten Commandments come in Exodus 20. But all the Lord has spoken, he says. They said, we, we're going to do that. They want to maintain that relationship. I hope you see your relationship with God that way. That you never fear a command. You never fear the order. It's like, it's not about keeping them to to earn it's, it's about keeping them because this is going to make the relationship sweet this is going to give me greater intimacy with God and him with me we're going to start loving the same stuff and hating the same stuff and our relationship's just going to grow as a result of that this is God's covenant with his people so this, is, this is the arrangement this is the agreement this is the time of I do as they camped there in front of 
those, those grand mountains. Um, consider all the things God has shown us. Uh, has he not brought you out of bondage? And the bondage is far greater than Egyptian slavery. The bondage to sin, the bondage to darkness, the bondage to, to the grave. Uh, Christ is, has freed us and given us a freedom where we now have the ability to please him. I, I, I laugh when non-Christians say to me, I, I, I share the good news of Christ. I say, you know, you really need to come to Christ. And they say, yeah, you're right, I probably do, but I don't want to give up my freedom yet. And when they say that, I just laugh. They say, Wait, why are you laughing? I said, because that's pr- pretty funny. They said, what do you mean? I said, because you don't have any freedom. You're not giving up anything. When you come to Christ, you don't give up anything. You still have the freedom to sin, if that's what you're talking about. I still have that freedom. I said, so you never give that up. I said, but you're in bondage. You don't realize you don't have freedom now. He said, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't. You don't have the freedom to please God. You don't have the freedom to choose Christ. If you did, you would. But you don't have that freedom. You're in bondage. And they're like, I'm not sure I understand. They're in darkness. They don't understand. They don't get it. If you've been brought out of that darkness and out of that bondage, you see the beauty of being in Christ. If you're here this morning and you, you, you say, man, I've never seen it. I, I guess I am in bondage. Plead with God. Beg with God. Turn from your sins. Say, God, choose me. Choose me. I need freedom. Choose me, God. I want to be treasured. I want to be precious. I want to be royal priesthood. I want to be in a relationship with God. What a joy that is. And what a delight. Um, As we think about taking the Lord's Supper together this morning, they ratify this covenant over in Exodus 24. Let me read it for you. Uh, Exodus 24. By the way, some of the scholars say Exodus 19 to Exodus 24 along with Genesis 3, are probably the most important chapters in the entire Old Testament. And the reason they're the most important chapters is because that's where the relationship is revealed. This, this covenant relationship with God. And then the, all the rest of the chapters in the Old Testament just play it out. But these are those glorious chapters on a Making covenant with God. May having an agreement with God. And this is where it's ratified. Uh, Exodus 24, verse 7 and 8. Moses is the one doing the action here. Verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant. So that's the Ten Commandments, which just has been written. He took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood... And he sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And you can imagine there some six million folks. I don't know if Moses is on some perch on one of those granite cliffs. 
They sacrificed animals and they would typically take a, a, a branch, particularly a hyssop branch. And so they would have some sort of bowl to catch the blood when they uh, killed the animal. And then they would take the branch and dip it into the blood. And then you could sprinkle it. And they did the same thing with water many times for purification. But you imagine Moses sprinkling six million folks, you know? But as he does that, he says, behold the blood. Because it's a sign that God is making covenant with you. And I want you this morning, as you behold the bread and you behold the wine, to realize it's a sign of God's covenant with you. Jesus says, it's the new covenant in my blood, not the blood of rams and lambs. It's the new covenant in my blood that I choose you. And the participants in this meal are to be those who say, and everything you say, O Lord, we will do. The participants in this meal are those who want to maintain a relationship with Christ, which is why we say this is voluntary. You don't have to take it. If you take it, you're making a statement that I am one who is right now seeking to proclaim the excellencies of him who has taken me from darkness into light. As I lift my cup, as I lift my bread, I witness that he's mine and I'm his. That's our testimony. It's a time of witnessing to one another as we take this meal. It's a time of declaring to God, we will do what you say. It's a time of beholding the sign of God saying, have I not given you my son? Was he not crucified on the cross to be a substitute recipient of the wrath of God so that you would not have to take the wrath? so that you would not have to pay for your sins? Does he not give to you his righteousness? If I've given you my son, how will I not with him freely give you all things? I will bear you on eagle's wings. Because I love you. Love me. Do as I say. That's our meal together. It's a time of worship. For those of you who can desire, want to respond to God in that way, I encourage you to take of this meal uh, with us. And those of you who aren't quite there, just, just wait and pray and ask God for greater clarity. Let's pray together. Father, as we have had the opportunity to dig into your word and see how wonderful the relationship you've started with us is. Father, help us to have this time of worship, to behold the body and blood of Christ. Let us thank you. Let us endeavor to new obedience, to maintain a delightful relationship with you. Father, forgive us of all our sins. Wash them away. Cleanse us. Make us holy vessels of yours. For those, O Lord, in this room who need you, Lord, choose them. Use our testimony, our witness, that they can see the glories of Christ. We ask that you would take this ordinary bread and wine to, and set it apart for this sacred purpose, this celebration 
of being yours. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.